Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Entree Architect membership is built for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. Monthly training, full access to all our business resources, and a private member forum powered by Slack. Come build a better business with hundreds of your fellow entrepreneur architects and me at Entree Architect Membership. Enroll now free for 30 days at EntreeArchitect.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business. As a small firm entrepreneur architect, this is episode 247, and this week I'm trying something new. It's a virtual roundtable discussion. I'm with Jen Kreshmer, Stella Osborne, Josh Kunkel, and Angela King, and we're discussing the issue of parental leave and the profession of architecture. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more at RCAT.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work that you love. And Revit Rocketship. Learn Revit the fast and easy way with a powerful online course developed by the guys over at F9 Productions. From first-time users to seasoned pros, Revit Rocketship will show you how. Welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi. Good afternoon. Hi. Hey. It's good to have you all here. This is We're hearing lots of voices here. This is something that we've never done before uh, on the Entree Architect Podcast. Um, we're doing something different. Today, I have four architects with me. I have uh, Jennifer Kreshmer, I have Stella Osborne, Josh Kunkel, and Angela King. Um, and we're going to do a virtual roundtable here on the podcast today. About a month ago, the topic of parental leave was raised over at the Entree Architects community, our private Facebook group, which if you're not a member, you should be. It's a great group. Lots of great discussions happening over there. And that discussion was really interesting. It's a great discussion. Lots of comments. Lots of ideas shared, many problems with parental leave, many solutions were talked about. So I posted in that discussion that I'd love to have a discussion here at the podcast, sort of bring together a few people from that discussion and have a conversation here in a roundtable format. So here we are. Um, I want to talk about parental leave. I want to talk about the profession of architecture. But before we do that, I want to ask each of you to share your origin story. 
uh, talk about where you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect, and give us the story of that point to where you are today. Uh, let's start with Angela, and then we'll go to Josh, and then Stella, and then Jennifer. So let's start with Angela. What's your origin story? My origin story starts early. Um, I think I've always had an interest in the built environment, although it wasn't probably until about middle school that I knew what an architect actually was. Um, my father is a craftsman. He's a mason by trade. And so um, he went into business for himself when I was in elementary school. And so I saw um, kind of the built environment very close up within my home and uh, uh, within my father's work. And so while I didn't have any interest in actually building the structures that he did, uh, I was very interested in the plans that he worked from. And so at a, at a young age, like grade school, I remember drawing in section, actually, not plan, because that didn't make sense to me, but kind of drawing in section um, made sense to me at a young age. And so when I, you know, run into people from, you know, grade school or middle school, they're like, they remember that I wanted to be an architect. So um, that was kind of always my focus. And um, yeah, that's, that's the only thing I ever really pursued or considered pursuing. And then, and then, so what are you, what are you doing today and how did you get to where you are now? Sure. So um, I uh, attended the University of Tennessee, um, which I'm from uh, the volunteer state. I received my bachelor's of architecture and then I moved uh, to Connecticut with my family, um, with my husband and two children at the time. So I was a mother while I was in school and um, I worked in the private sector there for a few years. Um, and then we moved to Illinois, uh, where I took a few years off to be home with my third child and my youngest. Um, and then I went into the public sector and I worked for the University of Illinois for several years. Um, and then now I am about to start a new job in Cincinnati. And what are you Again, doing? in the public sector. What, what I will be working do? for the. Go ahead. I will be working for the city of Cincinnati as their senior architect within their uh, facilities kind of department. All right. Congratulations on the new job. That's a, that's great. It's good to have architects in the in the uh, public sector making influencing decisions and helping keeping our cities uh, healthy and happy. <laughs> absolutely, Cincinnati is a good city for it. There's a lot of great architecture here. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, thank you for that, Josh. How about you? Um, I am the son of a contractor, and so I grew up on job sites and playing with Legos and connects and all of that and just kind of naturally gravitated towards creating space. Um, and so I had a drafting uh, teacher in high school that, um, you know, tried drafting out because it's like, well, you maybe you should try it out. And um, he went to, he was an architect, went to Oklahoma State and so I decided at that point, okay, I'm going to go be an architect. I'm going to go to Oklahoma State. I, I didn't visit any other colleges. Um, and I applied. I got in. I got scholarships. And uh, away I went. So um, I had actually gotten married right be between high school and college. And so my wife and I were um married and had a house, which was unusual for people of our age. Uh, so we were 18 and 20 uh, and we owned a house and it was right before the crash. So whenever they were loaning to anybody and everybody. So we, we just made it in right before. Um, then, so after we graduated from school, so a week after we graduated, which was still, that was 2012, still in the recession in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then a week later, we found out my wife was pregnant with our first son. And so I didn't have a job yet. And because there was only one open position in all of Tulsa. And luckily, I did get it after a month and a half. But um, so the, I worked for large corporate, uh, a, a national corporate uh, firm, uh, worked there, did large projects. Um, and then was asked to come work for another small um, high design firm. Um, so got to work for the kind of that mid-sized pure architectural firm and then was laid off and um, went to go work for a mid-size big E little A firm. 
And ultimately, the team that I work with there is the team that um, I went with to start um, Method Architecture, where which is where I'm at now. Um, we've been off the ground for five months. And you can go and listen to kind of how that happened on a podcast episode did with Mark, uh, episode 233, um, if you're interested in hearing more about that. But I just, um, the transition is, I found that I was always interested in the business side of how to run an office rather than doing the architecture. Um, I enjoy it, but there are other people that are much better than it, at it than I am. So I, I have a different path. All right. I'm, we have four kids, so five, four, two, and one month, all boys. Uh, and you so, just came, came off a long parental leave, right? Yes. So um, we have, uh, we have a paternity leave policy of two weeks. And so I took basically that. I did one day less, but it's just whenever baby came um, was kind of that. So, All right. yep. I want to talk more about that. Stella, how about you? What's your origin story? Yes. Hello. Um, I'll try to keep it. I'll try to summarize the best I can. But um, I, I was born in Greece, so I'm an immigrant to the United States, although I have lived here for a little over 30 years. Um, so I came from a very entrepreneurial family. Um, so I'll just put that out there. Um, we came to the United States, and when I was in high school, I just remember as a kid being, you know, loving to, to draw by hand, color, paint, watercolor, whatnot. Um, and then something similar to Josh's story, um, I took a drafting class in high school. And it wasn't just houses, right? We did like, drew like mechanical parts. And I became really interested in that. And so I started to do research about, you know, talking to teachers and counselors about, how, you know, how could I pursue something that is related to this? And came across, you know, the practice of architecture, did some research and decided, okay, well, this, in theory, you know, it has a practical side and an artistic side. So started looking at um, colleges that offer these degrees relatively close by. And so I ended up um, about seven hours north in Atlanta, Georgia, and I went to Georgia Tech um, and I applied for the, you know, the architecture program, got in, haven't looked back since. Um, I enjoy it very much. I've worked mostly for corporate firms, um, mid-sized firms, um, in Tampa and LA for a couple of years and then but mostly in the Atlanta area. And about five and a half years ago, I had my first child. I have two little girls and, um, a part, part of the reason why I'm now a sole proprietor is because just wasn't finding firms, you know, um, that have good, uh, not just maternity and paternity leave, but just schedules to accommodate parents. So um, here I am. All right, great. Uh, Jennifer. Hello, hi. Yes, I'm hi. Jennifer Kretschmer, AIA. And I was born and raised in uh, Palo Alto, California, uh, Silicon Valley area. So when I was really young, I was a, artist, I was always drawing and I played with Legos um, and I always enjoyed creative ventures. Um, my mother ran a childcare center. I used to build skyscrapers and houses out of the diaper boxes. Um, so I think I was always kind of heading in that direction. My dad took, uh, who was a mechanical engineer, my dad took a, a architectural modeling class um, at a local junior college just for fun. And he took me to it one day and I was about 12 years old and that was it. I, I mean, I just wanted to be in that room building models with the, you know, all <laughs> college students instead. So that was about when I was 12, I decided to become an architect and I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, got my bachelor of architecture and returned back to uh, the Bay area um, and worked in a couple of firms, one in Palo Alto, one in San Jose, before I decided to start my own firm. Uh, I, it was about 2002 when I left uh, the firm that I was working at, and um, I still needed to finish my licensing exams. So I took, uh, took some tests, and uh, about 14 months after I left that previous firm, I, had, I was licensed, 
I had started my firm and I had an infant child. Um, <laughs> so started my firm, he was three months old. So you um, became I a good two, juggler. I, yeah, juggling <laughs> right away. So I have two children. Um, they are now 11 and 15. And uh, that's kind of, kind of where we're at. And uh, do you have employees? I have, I run a virtual office. Okay. So I have a lot of independent contractors who work for me um, from various days. I have generally about seven people that I, I can pull from, but uh, mostly I have about five, five people who work for me. And they're in various locations. Most of them are here in the Bay Area, but I do have some people out of state and one person out of country. Yeah, well, that's great. That's exactly how I'm structured. And actually, Josh is sort of a, a hybrid of that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. he has a physical space and works with remote teams. Mm -hmm. um, I want to sort of start off the discussion about parental leave and, and ask if there's anybody that sort of has had um, some negative experience, some some experience that uh, didn't go so well, where you needed needed the time and you couldn't get that time. Is there any anybody has any sort of experiences like that they want to share? Well, I never had an experience, a negative experience personally, but I had witnessed it within um, some of my friends who I have graduated from school with, um, <laughs> sorry, uh, and who I graduated from school with, uh, really struggled through that process in the firms that they were at. They were not being given t enough adequate time off. Um, there weren't things like um, if they were women, whether they could, you know, pump or breastfeed in the location. Um, and it, it sort of really made me think about where would I want to be if I started having children. And so we, is, is your, Jennifer, is your um, decision to, to build a remote studio, a virtual studio, uh, indirect, you know, was that decision based on having that uh, ability to be part of raising your kids and having that flexibility and more control over your own hours? Well, the virtual studio, studio actually came from the Great Recession. Um, mm -hmm. I did at one time have an office that I was renting and actually had a full-time employee prior to the recession and was juggling having my children in daycare or with my grandparents. Um, and it was, it was very stressful and very hard to manage the time um, with that as a parent. Um, at the time, my husband was working at a startup so neither of us really were able to have the time and be as engaged as we wanted to be with our children. Um, and in a way, when the recession happened, it was kind of good for us in that it made us look more closely into what, our, what we really wanted to be or how we wanted to structure our, our parenting with our children. And that's when I uh, brought the firm into, the, into my home and have been home ever since. Then that's been since 2008. So we have, so so Jennifer, you have your own firm. I just want to uh, sort of set the, the context of, of who, who we all are. My, I have a small virtual firm as well. My wife and I are partners. We actually have a, our own studios, separate studios in our house. Um, intentionally built it so we can have that flexibility to be part of our kids raising and, and um, uh, sort of integrate our lives with our business. Um, Josh has a, that hybrid virtual firm. So he's a, a firm uh, principal. Jennifer's a firm principal. Um, Angela is uh, an employee at, and working for the city of Cincinnati, actually just ready to get started on that. Uh, and Stella is a sole practitioner. Stella, you're in yep. Georgia, is that is that right? Yes, yeah, in okay. Atlanta, Georgia, yep. Okay, um, so does anybody have any um, uh, good experiences? So I started with the, the negative experiences, things aren't working, because uh, there's lots of those. I know that there that exists, but I think our, our culture and our society and our profession are in that transition uh, from the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things. And I think the new way is that studios will become more flexible and more uh, remote when they need to be. And, but I think there's, there's this transition that we're going to have to go through uh, where some of those policies get reworked. Some of the, the generations shift from one generation to another. Um, so does anybody have any 
um, experiences that they have seen in a, in a positive way of, of a, a good model um, for the way that this should be done. Actually, just back up on yeah, the, ahead, the negative experience. So for me, you know, it was, uh, you know, taking paternal leave. It's, um, you know, and I know that this was for the folks, uh, the women who are taking maternity leave is just having to burn all of your PTO um, using that. And so not being able to go on vacations. And so, I mean, since we've had four in such tight proximity, you know, we've only really been able to take two vacations in the last seven or eight years. And so because we're having to use all of that time for PTO and even times, especially early on, whenever that PTO would run out and I would really want to take more time, but couldn't because it would have been unpaid. And, and so that's just from a paternity leave perspective. So, so, so PTO, just so anybody who's listening, who doesn't know what PTO is, it's, it's uh, paid time off. So it's basically your personal time. Vacation. Yeah. Vacation time. Yeah. So, um, and so, so for me, um, I, I would chime in on this. Uh, yeah, I, I don't ahead. know that I had either negative or positive. It was maybe kind of middle ground. Uh, in 2010, I had been with a firm, a small firm of, it was five of us um, and it had downsized during the recession. Um, but I had my daughter in 2010 and I took, uh, unpaid time off, which I think had I been there a little bit longer, I would have gotten um, somewhat paid time through short-term disability, but like I, that benefit hadn't kicked in yet for me. But I took time off and I think I had planned for it where financially we were in a situation where that was okay. Um, and the firm was somewhat flexible. I mean, we were a small kind of family oriented firm. Um, that allowed me to take unpaid time when my PTO ran out just in general from having to take time off um, that they would let me take un unpaid time. And for, for my family that worked uh, out somewhat okay financially. Um, but, it, uh, but a year after I had my daughter, I ended up, we ended up relocating states and I decided to stay at home for three years because what I realized through that experience is I, I was just exhausted. Um, I was nursing my daughter through, throughout that time. And so I mean, we talk a little bit about parental leave, parental leave, but also just figuring out how to nurse while you're in the workplace um, and, and go through that. It, it was a lot. And so I ended up taking a lot more time off than what I originally planned just because um, I realized the pre profession just wasn't really super accommodating for me um, as, as a mother which is also, and maybe we'll get to this later, but it's also one of the reasons I went into the public sector because uh, the benefits, especially time off, is, is a lot more generous. So what, what type of benefits are you seeing in the public sector that, that the private sector could learn from? Well, I don't even know that it translates because of, with billable time, but it, and, and this is very different, but with the state of Illinois, I was getting 24 vacation days a year and like 26 days a year. Um, I'm not sure what the... Um, uh, parental leave policies were because I didn't need to use those while I was there, but just extremely generous time off and then just flexibility within the workplace, which I guess I had that at my last firm somewhat with flex time, but more so it was just, um, I think just working a lot, just the, just the, what, it, what, what working in a small firm required when you only had that many people. And sometimes you have to work weekends and evenings and how does that work with the family? So. What are some ways that you think that firms could, adjust their policies to, to be more accommodating to, to new mothers? Uh, I, well, as I mentioned, flex time, I think. Uh, and the firm I was at, we weren't there. I mean, this is, you know, this is, I guess, eight years ago now. It doesn't seem like that long, but I guess it has been. Um, I think, and, and firms are moving in this direction where working from home, working remotely, um, a lot, I think a lot of the larger firms are doing it. I'm not sure about the smaller firms. But I think that would help because there's, you know, I, you know, if I could tend to things at home and also work and have the flexibility to work you know, flexible hours throughout my days, that would help. Um, and then also part-time looking at, uh, especially with women. Uh, so I'm a part of a Facebook group uh, for uh, women in the field. I'm not quite sure the, the exact name of it or mothers and mothers in architecture, I guess it is. And there's a lot of women who are, you know, after taking, you know, a year up to 10 years off are wanting to get back into the profession. And right. um, a lot of them want to go in part-time and, you know, mothers and women, we are incredibly valuable. We know how to problem solve. We uh, can multitask out of this world. And so I think just getting firms 
and, and organizations to see the value in that of how to integrate women or mothers who want to come back into the field and, and do so flexibly. Um, it would be a good look. So, yeah. Can I chime in on that? Yeah, can I absolutely. add to that? This yep. is Stella. Um, that's kind of, you know, my story is a little bit, you know, at the time it seemed negative and I, you know, I didn't feel like the employer was, you know, helping new moms out or new parents out. Um, but in the end, I think it turned out for the good because I kind of, um, you know, we came up with a different solution that wasn't in the manual. So to her point, um, it's hard to be back at work and, you know, work 40 hours and be taking your breaks to go pump. Uh, I breastfed, breastfed both kids. Um, you know, it's like you need flexibility. I think that is like the biggest, I know it's kind of a buzzword now, but it's huge, especially when you, you know, you just had a baby, even the first couple of years. So um, I had gone back to the firm after my, I did the short-term disability for the 12 weeks. So financially, you know, I had planned for that, go back to work and um, just, you know, I did it for a year, made it through, you know, working full time. But then I just realized it was just, it's just a lot. I was exhausted. The child wasn't sleeping through the night and um, you're just drained all the time. So I asked, to do the, you know, 32 hour work week. Cause that's the threshold of where you still get benefits typically, yeah. um, like health insurance. So, and the firm didn't want to do it. They just said, no way. You know, I had been there a year and a half, two years and they, they didn't want to lose me or so they said, but they weren't willing to budge on that policy. So what one of the principals and I came up with as a solution was that I would resign and they would hire me back as a contractor in order to work you know, the 32 hours a week. Um, so I ended up doing that for a few years. Um, so that had worked for some time, for some years. And then, um, but after that, you know, then you get sucked into the working more hours and project deadlines and whatnot. So then it's, that's, that's when I had to, you know, reassess my situation, which is why I decided to just do my own thing now. So I'm a sole practitioner to have more flexibility. Yeah. Stella, what do you think was the barrier from the firm's point of view that, that they were so against you, you changing that policy? You mean going from full-time to part-time? Yeah. To, to, to go to that 32 hours a week. Why, why would they say no? Uh, to Yeah. I think, I mean, the reasons that I was given at the time was, you know, they promised their clients that you're going to be on this project full time and full time is 40 hours a week. And if you're working less, then it's harder, it becomes tougher and tougher to meet the deadlines. So I think it had to do with like, you know, billable hours or expected hours per week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and at the time I didn't have, it's like, you, there's so many things out of your control. You know, they agree, the principals may agree to deadlines that are not realistic anyway. And then you're having to work part-time you know that that puts a dent in their you know in their plan let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at entree architect rcat fresh books and revit rocket ship for years when i needed information on manufacturers products i headed straight to google And then I sifted through the hundreds of results to find the one or two that might be the link to the product that I'm looking for. And more often than not, that link was not what I was seeking. It was outdated or didn't meet my requirements. So I went back to the search engine and started all over. This could take all afternoon to find the one or the two or the three products that I needed. Does that sound familiar? I'm sure it does. There is a better way. RCAT.com. Find what you're looking for in seconds. Building product information, BIM, CAD, and custom specifications using their exclusive tool, SpecWizard. And keep it all online in one place using their cloud-based project organization tool, Charette. So make RCAT a part of your efficient project workflow. Just type entrearchitect.com slash RCAT so they know that you came from us. Put that into your internet browser and add it to your favorites, and then visit RCAT for every project. Find what you need fast and make more money on every project. EntreeArchitect.com slash RCAT. 
That's entrearchitect.com slash A-R-C-A-T. Our friends at FreshBooks have been supporting us here at the Entree Architect podcast for a long time now. They've been a platform sponsor for well over two years. So thank you, FreshBooks. So you've heard me talk about FreshBooks a lot here at the Entree Architect podcast. Every episode, in fact, for quite a long time now. But did you know how FreshBooks actually was created, how it came to life? Well, it happened when their founder, Mike, accidentally saved over an invoice and he kind of stamped. He was using Microsoft Word to bill his clients. He had studied accounting at school, but found that every accounting software on the market was built for some other business, not for him. He was frustrated. He wanted something different, something better, something that was designed for him, a self-employed professional. So he built it. Today, millions of people use FreshBooks, and on average, FreshBooks customers save about 16 hours a month. 16 hours a month. What could you do with an extra 16 hours? Getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice seconds after starting their free trial. And the same goes for time tracking, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. So give FreshBooks a try. It's free for 30 days. Just visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. And then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access your free, unlimited 30-day trial. Revit Rocket Chip is a new online course developed by our friends Alex Gore and Lance Psycho over at F9 Productions. They're the guys from the Inside the Firm podcast. Their new online course will get you up and running with Revit fast and easy. It's completely different from anything else available online. You're going to learn how to model in Revit just like it gets built. And you won't even need to start from scratch. Alex provides you with a complete ready-to-go template to get started. It's the actual Revit template that his firm, F9 Productions, has developed over the past decade and uses today. He'll walk you through their proven method of developing a Revit model and end up with a completed set of construction drawings that you can use for your portfolio or reference when you develop your next project. Revit Rocketship is based on years of experience using the software and teaching Revit at the university level so they know how to get you up and running fast and easy. I love that Alex and Lance are sharing their knowledge and I want you to check out Revit Rocketship. Register today for Revit Rocketship at entrearchitect.com slash Revit. That's entrearchitect.com slash R-E-V-I-T. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Revit Rocketship. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. How much do you think... Um, the comparison to non-parents, how does that factor into the decisions and the policies that these firms have for parents? Because I've seen, I've, I've worked for all different size firms. Before I started my own firm, I worked for a very, when we fir I first came out of school, I worked for a very small firm. Then I went to one of the largest firms in the country intentionally to experience that. So I got into the, you know, the whole corporate AE firm. Uh, and then I went to a mid-sized firm before I launched my own firm. Um, so I've sort of had an experience in all those. Um, I didn't have kids until I was in my, my last firm. And actually, no, I already had my firm. So we had already set up our firm um, before we had kids. So I didn't experience having parents in being parents in that, any of those situations. But I did see other parents um, having, you know, using some of those policies. And I'm seeing other people who didn't have kids uh, have a certain point of view towards the the benefits of non-parents. Do, do you see any uh, relation between, you know, parents using the parental leave policies and, and non-parents? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's tough because even me, I started late. I started my first, I had my first child at 35. Um, so when I was in my 20s working, you know, burning the midnight oil, so to speak, at one of my first jobs, um, I would see older, older folks and, you know, parents and 
you know, the kind of schedule that they had or tried to have or had to rush out to pick up kids. And I remember feeling at the time naively like, well, why do they get to leave at four o'clock? I have to be here till six or seven o'clock at night. But I just didn't realize, you know, the work, the amount of work that it takes to raise kids and, you know, the schedules of daycare and all that stuff, you know. So I think, yeah, maybe a lot of firms still, you know, the balance is there's less parents. Um, there's more, whether single or folks that, that don't have kids. So maybe they're catering to those. I, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's tough. Yeah. I don't, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The other thing that, you know, what we've seen is whenever, yes, they may be leaving at four o'clock to go get their kids, but what you don't see is that they're, you know, picking up work at eight o'clock or nine o'clock and working until midnight or whatever. And so, you know, they're making it up in other ways that aren't as visible. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Completely. I get that now on the other side, yeah. but at the time, yeah. like I said, I was, yeah. Yeah. Jennifer, did you want to say something? Oh, I think, I think you locked up. Yeah, I feel what, what I was... Go ahead. I'm Angela. here. So uh, this is Angela. What I would say, um, I think this really is more um, in terms of what people have um, mentioned already. It's about the culture of architecture and how we're all overworked. It's not just parents. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I think just... It's not even flexibility, but I just think how we approach the business of architecture and overworking people, it's, it's ultimately, I don't know that it's extremely productive um, and that we're probably not getting, or we're losing efficiency. When we're working longer hours, we're just losing efficiency. Um, yeah. um, uh, but what I would say, um, and I've always been a mother in architecture, so I, I don't know from the non-parent perspective of what that looks like, um, but I think when we are, learn how to be more flexible with the people that need it the most, well, then others benefit because we learn how to be more flexible with everyone. Um, and we see that when, you know, where um, we have um, a paternity leave, right? That used to not be a thing, but because we're able to address paternity leave better, well, now we're also addressing our understanding better uh, the need for men to also take time off when they have children. So I think there's benefits, but we just don't even approach it that way from a very humanistic perspective, which is unfortunate given given the work that we do. We should we should absolutely understand these things and how to be empathetic, given that we shape the built environment. Yes, completely agree with you. I agree. Completely agree too. Yeah, I really agree with her in 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 that our, our culture of architecture is completely set up right from the time we're in school in the studio that we're, we're working long hours, you know, staying up late all the way through the night working on our projects and not thinking about anything about our life work balance, um, even way back in, in our college days. Um, I think a key component in making firms more, uh, you know, better for parents is that remote work environment, mm -hmm. I mean, which is something that I'm very much advocating within my own firm. A lot of the people who are independent contractors for me um, are parents as well and need that time to uh, be able to work when they can work and then still be able to take care of their kids or go to their child's functions at school um, and participate in, in the lives of their children as well as being still being able to be uh, an architect. I agree. I, I think that pendulum is already swinging in that direction. Mm -hmm. I think that yeah. shift has already started. Um, I think, and I think it's happening because of the technology that allows that to happen. Uh, I think there's a convergence of technology and a new generation uh, of younger people who are demanding that. They're, they're, they're being raised in an environment that they have instant access and, and tools to be able to communicate across the world in an instant. All those things are, become, are second nature today to the generation that's coming up behind us. Um, and so I think that shift is already happening. It's happening with small firms first because we're the most flexible. Um, right. you know, that's exactly why I went remote. I had, a, I had a, a, an office. I had six employees, 2,000 square feet, uh, $7,000 a month of, of expenses. I shut it all down. I went home, built a new studio, sent all my employees out to their own houses. They became remote uh, 1099 contractors. They started working for other people. They worked for me. I have flexibility, mm -hmm. they have flexibility, we have the tools to be able to communicate instantly 
and share online all in the cloud. The tools are there. Um, I, and I think it will happen from the bottom up. I think it will happen with as new firms are being built, they're going to start as remote studios. Um, that's the way small firms are going to start. And I think because of that, it will find, it will filter its way up to the larger firms um, because it will have to. I think right. that the, the employees will demand it. The society will demand it. And I think the, the older, larger, more entrenched firms will take longer to shift because those policies are in place from generations ago that haven't yet been changed. Um, yeah. But movements like, you know, um, uh, equity by design and, and movements that are that architects are coming together, using the technology to come together uh, to make to demand those changes happen, to bring awareness that there are problems in our in our profession that need to be addressed. Uh, and people are actively taking a stand and stepping up to lead those changes. Uh, I think those changes are happening and they will become the way architecture is practiced. So whether you're a parent or you're not a parent, I think the policies will uh, allow for any sort of flexibility. That you, it's Because it's not only about raising kids and about being moms right. and dads, it's about having a balanced life uh, and I think our generations and the younger generations will demand that, that it'll, it'll just be the way it is, that we, that mm -hmm. life and work are part of one life, that they're not two separate things. Uh, we no longer just get up and go to work. And when you leave, you go to, I mean, some of us do, but it's shifting. Um, and I think yes. over time it will shift to a much more positive place. Yeah. Yes. I hope, I wish, I just wish the change would happen. Go ahead, Stella. I was just saying I, I completely agree with you, and that's what I've been like pushing for the last six years at this firm where I recently resigned from. Um, it's just I just wish that the change would happen a little bit faster. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> that's exactly why we're having this conversation. Yeah. Because, well, and yeah. I, I think if some of those firms don't start making, you know, realizing that this is what's happening. Um, a lot, they're going to lose employees. Um, exactly. I'm getting it. I'm getting new workers primarily from people who are done with the large office and want to have that flexibility in their life and they find me. So uh, there's definitely that shift is happening. And, and if the larger firms don't catch on they're they're going to be the dinosaur. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. I, I think that the the firms they will they will see it in their finance in their books, and when they see it in their books, because they won't have the employees to do the work that needs to be done, they won't have the quality of employees uh, that they need because those quality employees will demand flexibility, and if they don't get them, they'll go somewhere else that will give it to them. Uh, they'll have to shift, or they'll they will perish. Yeah, talent is our number one issue, probably even more than winning work is that if you don't have good good or great people, even if you have all the greatest work in the world, you're not going to get it done. And so that's where it's really about taking care of people. And so that's that ties into the much larger conversation that um, uh, parental leave is a just a portion of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where, you know, benefits is absolutely. I mean, I, I know way more about insurance than I care to admit just because having been at three different firms and being on four different insurance plans during that time, you know, and having children throughout all of that, you know, saw well, what is really a good insurance plan. Well, or this one looks good on the surface, but it's actually pretty crappy whenever you have a kid. Um, and so yeah. it's, there's a lot of, there's tiers within you know, whether or not you're a young, healthy, single person or you're married with, you know, four kids. Um, and so there, there's a, yeah, benefits are a huge deal. And that's why we've, we've chosen to have very robust benefits for small firm and all of that. Do you think that the benefits are becoming more important than the salary or do you think that they're just a part of the package? Well, we do both. And so that's where, um, but for, yeah, for us, it's both. Um, but I'm in, in another mastermind group and they talk, they're over on the East coast and 
where they're having real problems with trying to get get people to come work for them. And um, it seems that they have to keep, I mean, adding benefits or adding salary. Um, so I don't, but I also have heard of other people taking lower salaries to get the great benefits because the benefits take, that takes, that's less out of the paycheck. So it actually evens out. What are your thoughts on that, Angela or Stella? You, you, Angela is an employee. Stella was recently an employee. Do you think that the benefits in your, it's your, per, your, in your personal decision-making, were the benefits more important than the salary or were they just equal? Uh, for me, yes. Um, as a, I'm in a two-income household, so um, that allows me greater flexibility in my salary, but the benefits, especially, especially time off, is, and the flexibility there um, just for flex time uh, is, is more important. Um, but again, in the public sector, they just offer more generous um, time. So, uh, and uh, I'm not sure if we're going to touch on this. I know we've talked a lot about um, what firms are offering, um, and that's that's on a case by case basis of what small firms are doing and how that trickles up to you know larger um, firms. But um, I would really like us maybe to have a brief discussion on pressing the organizations, AIA, um, NCAR, NAB, all of our professional organizations to, to look to focus more on this. I know I've heard AIA's numbers. Women are the greatest growing demographic within architecture, as it should be. Um, but I, I think they could do a lot more to um, advocate for uh, parents within the profession uh, and in small ways that I think they have the capacity to do. I know in past years at conferences, they offered childcare, which would be, I think, a great perk. I might be more inclined to bring one of my children to a conference. But I think from a large organization that has the capacity and the flexibility to do so is they are blazing that trail of how of how to set the standard and how to be more flexible for us as architects as, as our leading organization i think that also will help tr- those those kind of ideas trickle down to the firm so do you think uh, I, go ahead yep so i was going to answer your your question um about the benefits um for me personally, I think pay and other benefits such as flex time or comp time and PTO um, matter more, but that's me personally because mm-hmm. most of the, in terms of healthcare, health insurance, I typically go to functional medicine doctors that are not really covered anyway. So I'd rather get the higher salary and the flexibility, you know, to do what I need to do. So, so if you, if you looked at it, Stella, in terms of priority, would you say salary is one and flexibility is a very close second and then the rest of the benefits come in third? Um, no, I would say flexibility is number one. Number one. Is number two. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think that shift yeah. is happening. I think a lot of people are looking. I think the money is very important, but I think the money is becoming less, less important. Um, right. You, right. you need enough to do what you want to do, but then the flexibility is right. what allows you to do what you want to do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to go back to Angela's comment about, um, about the organizations. Um, uh, from my point of view, I think that the organizations do have that obligation to step up and use the leverage that they have to make change in the profession and outside the profession. I think that change this is me personally speaking here. Uh, I think that change will happen as we individual architects step up and demand that change and, and, and not only say, you know, AIA and NCARB, you need to change, but I think we need to build uh, firms that are examples of that change. I think that, that we as individual architects need to become that model and show that this is the way to do it and become, yes. become successful architects with happy clients and and super happy employees and show them that there is that model that can be done and then have other architects look to those models and say, I don't really need the AIA and NCARB. I want to do that and I'm going to build that. And 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 if we enough of us do that and use the technology and the and the opportunities that we have to share that with others, um, we'll shift the profession with or without the AIA. And the, just like the, the, the pendulum swinging and the old firms having to make that transition because 
because the profession will have changed with or without them, I think that will happen with the AIA and NCARB too. Those organizations are very, very big. They are very entrenched and they have policies to do the things they want to do. They say the things that they want to say. They, want, they say the things that, they, that we want to hear. I support them all. I, I don't want to come off as I don't support AIA or NCARB. I just see them as gigantic uh, freighters that need to turn. And it takes a long time to turn that ship. And the leadership of those organizations change on a regular basis. So this leader says, okay, we're going to do this. And they do it for a couple of years and then they move on. And then they have a new leader comes in and they want to make an impact and they want to change. And they would, so to make that change personally, I think it has to happen from the bottom up. It has to happen with one person saying, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to show you how to do it. And then I'm going to share it with others so they can see how we do it. Um, and it, it will slowly trickle up to the, to the profession to the professional organizations that will then highlight those firms as successful firms. Yes. Mm -hmm. This sounds like a good session for proposal for conference. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's too bad that deadline has already passed. <laughs> yeah, but there's so. always another one. There's always Next another year. one. Yep. Yeah. So the, the, um, does anybody else have any thoughts before we wrap things up here? What do you think? And let me ask you one, one final question. Uh, and actually I'll ask that the other final question that I always ask as well, but I want to ask one more question in, in the terms of the, the round table here. What do you think is, is, is um, the single most important thing that small firms need to do uh, to, to, to be that change? Provide short-term disability insurance paid by the firm so that they can cover because for us we're providing short-term disability and it covers 60% of the cost and uh, for that, you know, 12 week period. So the firm is only on the hook for 40%. So whenever you look at it from that perspective, it's much more palpable to have that person out for uh, three months Um just from a financial perspective. Yeah. And that's really so, important because I think a lot of us want to do that, but we don't know how. And what you just did is, is explain and, how that can happen. And the insurance is very cheap. I mean, it is not much at all. And versus the cost of that 60 per, because we're in a, a, a hot, uh, because we're professional service firm, we're high salary. And so, you know, that's where, I mean, that 60%, what you're going to, yeah, so that's where people get into trouble because they they have it as an option um, as an employee, um, but you have to have it in place for a year or if you've started um, before it will cover that um, uh, uh, the maternity leave coverage, basically. And so, but if you're providing it as a firm, it I believe it uh, circumvents that. Um, that need. Yeah, so that's, that's something that I learned. Yeah, that's great practical advice. I think that's, you know, a step that, that as you build a firm with employees, that's, that's, those are the kind of things you need to look at. You want to build those policies, but how do you do that? And how do you afford that? You know, and so those are the ways that you can afford that. Because I think many of us, we want to build these perfect firms that have a little flexibility and the remote access and all the things that we all want. Um, but some of it is financial and you can make opportunities like that help us, help us build those firms. Uh, my response would be to amplify your efforts. For the firms that are currently getting it right or kind of getting it right, um, find a means to share the information with other small firms so they can replicate what you're doing. And then, you know, thus the effort grows that much faster. I agree. That's, that's my, uh, I love that answer. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, oh, we're here, right? Stella, go ahead. Um, can you ask the question one more time? It was just, what is, what's, what's the one thing that a small firm architect can do to, to, to be, to ignite that change, to make that change happen? Um, what, okay. Go ahead. <clears throat> I think, um, I'm going to say something that I don't may sound crazy or not, um, but maybe it's 
explore the option of, um, you know, setting everybody up with a laptop so that, you know, you come in, you go to work for an employer and, uh, you know, a lot of time, most of the time it's a desktop computer and then you go home and you have to figure it out, right? You either have to get your own laptop and remote desktop in or whatnot. But what about, you know, to me, it's simple. You Everybody gets assigned a laptop. All your software is on there. All your licenses are on there. So you can work from wherever you want. You've got a big monitor in, in the office. When you're there, you hook it up. And um, that's what you use to get your work done. And that way, that'll, you know, I think that that helps with the flexibility aspect. It so does. That we can work that's at what night we have or, in our office. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's here in Atlanta, I don't know what it is, but it's, when I say that to people, they look at me like I have four heads. So, um, don't worry, I, they're looking I'm, at us crazy too. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love that idea because not only only is that a practical solution for flexibility, it's also symbolic. When you get a job yeah. in this firm and that firm hands you a laptop that's fully loaded with all the mm-hmm. software on it and says, "Yep, there's a big monitor sitting over there that you can use anytime you want," but you can also walk right out that door and go work in the park if you want. You can work anywhere you want. Because here's yeah. here's the tool that's going to allow you to do that. That's that's them, you know, physically, symbolically embracing that model by by building that right. system that way. Right, and there's like an immediate trust that's placed on you. Right. So you're like, oh, I got to take care of this trust, you know. And it that thing makes people more um, empowered and more dedicated to that effort. And something on that too. So we gave everyone a branded backpack to go with it. So now whenever everybody's out, our brand is out there. So that's a side benefit. Um, oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not only, you know, they're carrying your brand around, but they're also uh, working remotely. So when people say, hey, how are you working mm-hmm. remotely? Now they're not only seeing the logo, they're also yeah. hearing the story that goes along with that logo. Yep. See, these are the things that make change. <laughs> Go ahead, Angela. This this shouldn't be that novel. My kids, both in grade school and high school, are issued their own personal laptops at school. Right. So I think we could do it too. <laughs> I agree. I agree. How about you, Jennifer? My, my answer is similar. Uh, my answer is similar to what everybody else is saying. The main thing is that firms need to change their mindset. We're not a studio atmosphere every, anymore where everybody has to be in the office. Um, we need to be able to work remotely, um, and they need to be able to utilize all the technology that's available to them today uh, to make that happen. There's a lot of technology out there, and there's a lot of firms that are hesitant to embracing uh, this, this new technology. I love the laptop idea. The laptop idea is great, um, but basically change your mindset about the studio environment. Allow firm, Allow employees to be out of the office. Well, those answers were so good. I don't want to muddy those answers with any other questions. So I'm going to end it right there. That was a a fantastic discussion, better than I imagined it would be. I knew it would be a good discussion because it's a great topic. Um, But it was, I think there are some really good ideas there that people can listen to uh, and and immediately put them in place in their own firms. And so uh, we'll share this on, on the podcast. This is episode 247. If you want to share that, it's going to be a couple of weeks from now. I will email all of you links to them when they're ready to go. Uh, but you could start letting people know that it's going to be episode 247. Um, and we will share it in the, um, the Entree Architect community on Facebook, which is where this discussion started. Uh, that's You can get there easily and join entrearchitect.com slash group. We'll get you there. Uh, you do have to be an architect or an architecture student to get in. So you have to request membership. Uh, I filter everybody that comes in there. So if you're not an architect or you're not an architecture student, don't even bother. You're not going to get in. <laughs> but this, we'll have this discussion over there. We'll continue this discussion uh, over there as well. So go check that out. Uh, and thank you all of you uh, for, for this great conversation. Um, this is uh, Jennifer Keschmer. Uh, Stella Osborne, Josh Kunkel, Angela King, thank you for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. So what are your thoughts on the issue of parental leave and the profession of architecture? Do you have any other thoughts? Do you have any other solutions to this issue? Do you you think that uh, we're moving in the right direction? And if so, are, are we moving in the right direction fast enough? Uh, Are there ways that we can be uh, 
making the profession a stronger, uh, more viable, uh, more more uh, appealing profession by being more flexible and having more uh, opportunities for parental leave. Leave your thoughts here at the show notes, entrearchitect.com slash episode 247. That's the link to share as well, entrearchitect.com slash episode 247. Please share this one. I think this is an important topic that we need to talk about. And you can also post your thoughts over at the Entree Architect community. You can go to entrearchitect.com slash group and just request your membership over there. And if you're an architect or a student of architecture, someone who is actually actively pursuing to become an architect, we'll let you in and we'll have a discussion with you about this topic. So go over entrearchitect.com slash group and let us know. Let us know what you think. And if you like this format of the virtual roundtable and you have some ideas for other uh, issues and other discussions that you would like to have, hit me up. Let me know. You can post, uh, just send us an email at podcast at entrearchitect.com. Podcast at entrearchitect.com. Let us know who you are, what you want to do, what you want to talk about. And maybe we can organize another one of these roundtables. I like this this topic. I, well, I like this format. I love this topic. I love this format. Uh, I would love to do it some more. We just need some people who are interested in hanging out with me for a half hour or so. And we'll have another discussion about another topic. So let us know. Um, Entree Architect Membership, a new masterclass expert training webinar every month. That alone is worth the membership, without a doubt a new masterclass expert training webinar where an expert comes in to the membership, does a live training on webinar. It's part of your membership. Once you're a member, you have access to every live monthly training every month. And you have access to the entire archive that now has, we're coming up on 40 uh, uh, masterclass video recordings in the archive from everything from sales and marketing, productivity, planning, uh, SEO, all kinds of information, anything that you could possibly imagine uh, for small firm architects. It's in there. Anything with business, anything with leadership and life, it's all in there. So entrearchitect.com gets you uh, access to that membership free for 30 days. Entrearchitect.com. And you get all our resources, you get all our digital courses, and an access, an invitation to our. Uh, private member forum powered by Slack. Training resources, any private community, it's built for you, small firm architects, entrearchitect.com for your free 30 days. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Those are my three rules. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this. I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? 
Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.